Scoop, Duck, and Hi-Fi. My name's Matt Bagley, joined by Justin Hopkins, and we're doing two podcasts this week. Gonna try to make that the norm. We'll see if our jobs and our lives will cooperate with that, but bear with me. The Ducks are going up to Pullman, and I've done this podcast for so many years now that I know what to ask in this situation. The first year we did this podcast, Oregon had a game in Wazoo. Went up to Pullman. College game day was there. And Justin Herbert and Mario Cristobal got an L. They got beat. And so every time since, when Oregon goes up to Washington State, I start with one question. Justin Hopkins, I think you know what I'm going to ask. Are you worried about this game? Yeah, there's no question. I think if you're an Oregon fan, I mean, if you, if you put this game on a neutral field, uh, I feel pretty confident saying that I, I believe Oregon wins. We'll just say nine out of ten times to be conservative. If you play this game in Eugene, I think the same. I would say the same result. You put this game in Pullman, and I think that is being aggressive. That I mean, it's just a tough place to play. Um, I like that. You know, the one bonus is that this game is in September and not November. So you've got to like that the elements are probably going to be somewhat friendlier uh, than they can be. But yeah, I mean, tough place to play, uh, hard place to travel to, and more importantly, as well, we really don't have a good feel for how this team travels, right? I know that this first game was in Atlanta. That's not lost on me. Uh, basically a home game for Georgia, let's call it that. But that, that game's an anomaly, right? You're playing Georgia. I, I don't care where that game's played. Georgia's winning <laughs> nine out of ten times. So, uh, you know, we're going to really get a test of how well this team, team travels uh, and additionally, I'm still I know that Washington State beat Wisconsin, which I'm still not totally sold on Wisconsin. So I'm also kind of wondering just how good this Washington State team really is as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've got some questions from your readers. But first, I want to dive in real specific on this Washington State team. Uh, I, I, I think I think Oregon is better. I'll, I'll tip my hand on the pick right now and just say I think Oregon is the more talented team on paper and the better coach team on paper. But for Wazoo to play, I think it was Wisconsin in their opener, and, and out-tough, out-physical Wisconsin in a grinder of a game, that's not a Wazoo kind of win, and they won it. I was really impressed. Yeah, I mean they're a tough team, right? They're, they they were tough last year and returned a lot of those key players that got them there. Um, I think that they're playing a really good brand of football. I think they're playing a more a a a brand of football that gives them a better shot at long term success. You know, the air raid's fun to watch. Throw the ball 60, 70 times, whatever. Uh, if you have a a really really good quarterback, you can be pretty dangerous. That type of offense, you could be really dangerous in that type of offense, but it also puts a lot of stress on your defense. So that's why we're used to Mike Leach, you know, being in those 65 to 55 shootouts or whatever, uh, you know, we can recall. So, yeah, I think Washington State definitely plays a, a better style of football now. Um, but that said, I mean, if you just match up athlete for athlete, the Ducks are far superior uh, you know, to, to the Cougars right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> with that said, are there any Washington state players you were concerned about on Saturday? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you got to look out for uh, not particular players. I think you've got to look out for, uh, you know, I think they've got a very tough offensive line. I think they do a pretty good job there. They're very physical. Malago is a guy you got to watch out for. Uh, I think their defensive line obviously is very disruptive. They're very aggressive. Uh, they're doing a good job of getting pressure and sacks on the quarterback. And so to me, that's kind of, you know, the, the game within the game or the battle or how, you know, how does Oregon handle, you know, their physicality on the line of scrimmage? I think Oregon's a very physical team. Obviously, we know that this is not like the Chip Kelly teams of the past that you can push around because they're smaller and faster. Um, you know, so so that's probably the biggest part of the game that I'm looking at as far as uh, specific players. You know, of course, you're going to have to pay attention to, to Washington State's quarterback, Ward. He's a really good one. Uh, I know some folks kind of think, I mean, at least on the message board, I was reading some folks thought he was a better quarterback prospect than Jaron Hall from BYU. I don't see it that way personally, but I will give him his credit. I think he's a really good quarterback, and, and obviously this Oregon secondary is going to have to be on its toes, literally. Yeah, you mentioned Cameron Ward. I, I think not only is he someone to watch on Saturday, but someone to root for after Saturday. Like, let's say Oregon wins this game and you get to breathe a sigh of relief and move on from Washington State this year on the schedule. I want to watch Cameron Ward. He was the 2021 FCS Player of the Year at the, at that smaller level. You know, used to be 1AA. Uh, at Incarnate Word in Texas. So very under the radar, very off the beaten path. A spot opens up at Wazoo because Jaden Delora transfers out. And uh, we've talked about the portal ad nauseum on this pod over the years, right? A spot opens up. He takes it at Washington State, and he's making the most of it right now. Yeah, took a gamble on himself, and it's paying off, and it's Obviously, it's a great story. Um, you know, I, I think that we agree. We both we both love to see those stories. And in the truest form, that's why the, the transfer portal was invented, right? Like to give those types of players opportunities on a bigger stage to further their careers, to advance their draft stock. That's, you know, to me, that's the spirit of the transfer portal, not what we're seeing it in today's form. But, you know, somebody like Cameron Ward, uh, realistically probably wouldn't get noticed let alone talked about much this year gets into washington state takes a chance on himself and all of a sudden people are like man who's this guy he's pretty good so i, I think those are great stories and you're right he's gonna be an easy guy to root for after this week yeah and and then another story that uh stands out to me is the coaching staff at washington state like uh, again i i point to our differences in in our perspectives on say the coronavirus pandemic, I was very much against the last uh, coaching staff at Wazoo. I thought it was the absolute dumbest thing in the world for them not to be vaccinated and and not to take this thing seriously. And I, I laughed when, you know, the, the head coach got fired and Washington State, you know, swapped in an interim. Uh, but that man has has made the most out of this situation now, picking up the pieces of a broken staff and and I think getting the players to really buy into his mission. How do you feel about that staff? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you've, you've got to be, you know, I, I think you've got to applaud them for kind of turning the corner from that situation and that scenario. 
keeping the the key players that they did uh, in town and saying, "Hey, look, we're gonna we're gonna get this thing going. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna win some ball games," uh, and then going out there and doing that. So, you know, I I typically don't have a negative feeling towards a a first year coaching staff. It's like, okay, let's see what these guys are about. Let's see, you know, are, are they good? Where you know where do they need to improve and you know, I said this to someone else in a conversation. Uh, I can't remember if it was yesterday or day before, but when you get to the Pac-12 and when you get to Washington State in particular, like Oregon and like a Colorado and an Oregon State, just for example, those schools are very unique schools in how you recruit and who you can get to come visit and the guys you can target because geographically you're not in a strong area. You know, Colorado much that way Oregon State Jonathan Smith you know really had to live inside the transfer portal to kind of get you know to where they are today and I I think Washington State is very much like Oregon State where you're having to maybe live inside the transfer portal a little more than you like Um, and then of course pick your shots carefully on the recruiting trail because you're not going to go beat Oregon or USC or probably even Washington for that matter you know, for the guys that might be in your relative footprint. So uh, again, it takes somebody that understands that and understands how to adapt to that, to make it work. And, and you've got to give them a lot of credit for doing that. Yeah. All right. So now I want to get to some of your, your readers questions. Now, some of these are a little more general, you know, more season scope. And I think that speaks to the intensity out there, right? These are the questions that people pay you to learn, uh, state of the program type stuff. But I'm going to try to spin this and apply it to the, uh, the game Saturday in Pullman as best I can. Our friend Desert Duck 99 asks, what's your take on the O-line recruiting? And, uh, and, and do you think the stellar start to the season by that group can help in the recruiting process? Um, I, it's a really good question. I do think that the product that we're seeing on the field is only going to help, you know, coach Clem and the guys that he may target moving forward, uh, recruiting to Oregon. But I, I, I do say this, um, and it's something I've said before, there's just not a lot of really good options nationally, and there's even fewer in the Western footprint. And what I mean by good options are, you know, the must-get kind of guys. I think there's, a, you know, maybe a handful of guys. There's, okay, there's really not a handful of must-get kind of guys out West. There's just really not. Now, that next tier down of the, okay, these guys are pretty good, uh, we need to try and sign them. There is a handful, and I, I, I mean, maybe like three, four, maybe five, and I, none of them are program changers in my mind. Maybe they can develop and and change and 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 improve in college, but that's just the way I see it. So I think that Coach Clam uh, has done a tremendous job. He did a great job getting Josh Connolly to commit late, which I know some people have forgotten mm-hmm. about. Not that Desert Duck did. I think that he was dealt a bit of a tough hand in this particular cycle with, uh, with how many recruits were available. And secondly, with how those select few, and I'm talking about the, the Samson Okanlulas and the miles McVeighs and, and the elite guys that Oregon targeted since the pool was so small, those guys were able to demand uh, a really high value 
through NIL, which we know is being utilized in recruiting, uh, and really basically take advantage of that. And I don't believe that Oregon as a school was really prepared to, you know, get into those types of bidding wars for offensive linemen. So been kind of a perfect storm of, well, I guess anything but perfect, but I, I do believe that Coach Clam will probably end up signing a couple of offensive line guys in this class that he feels are probably more towards the developmental side and then probably opting to work through the transfer portal uh, down the line and kind of filling those gaps for guys that might need to be more ready to contribute right away. Yeah, I, I agree with you in terms of difficult timing. He's done a great job with what he's had to work with, but we have to remember Oregon had a different coaching staff as of December of last year, right? Like I remember doing a podcast with you and we both went, oh yeah, there's rumors about Miami, but that's all they'll be, right? We both laughed it off, scoffed it off, and, and I stand by that to this day. I, I thought it was unlikely at the time that Oregon would have needed to hire a new coaching staff. And so, you know, Adrian Clem comes in alongside a slew of other coaches and he has to pick up the pieces of a staff going to Miami and going to Nevada and going all over the country uh, and players that had been recruited to Oregon, some of which committed with Oregon, that then looked at that and said, I don't want to be here because I don't know any of these coaches, right? Like it, it, it was an impossible job. It's, it's impossible, I think, for almost any coach getting hired on to a new staff and he's done the best he possibly can with it. Yeah, I, I, and I, I do feel strongly that really just the lack of depth in offensive alignment in this class was the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest hurdle for him to overcome. I do know that the class of 2024 um, is already shaping up to be much stronger at the offensive line. Uh, a couple more questions here. Minnesota Duck asks one that I can spin towards the Wazoo game. His question is, which individuals need to step up most in order to get more consistent pressure on the QB? Can we apply that to Saturday? Uh, we can. Uh, yeah, we can. We can, actually, because I think my answer to that is uh, I, I really think that Casey Rogers and Jordan Riley have done a good job but I don't know that they're the big kind of knockback, you know, real just kind of pressure getters that, that we've seen in like a Jordan Scott in years past, you know, that guy that just really kind of pushed the pile back. I think if we can see them kind of generating that kind of push on the interior of the defensive line, it's going to make it easier for Brandon Dorless and Braden Swinson uh, and DJ Johnson and those guys to utilize their speed and see, um, you know, more one-on-one -on -one matchups. So I think that's where it starts. And it's probably not, you know, everybody's kind of throwing around, man, I thought Brandon Dorless would have more sacks, or I thought, you know, DJ Johnson would be more disruptive. But I think if you go back and you look at the tape, oftentimes those guys are being double teamed. Uh, or if they're not double teamed off the line, you're seeing a tight end come in and, and, and chip off one of them or running back, um, you know, come in and chip off one of them along with an offensive lineman. So, I think if they can get that interior push, I think really that's going to open up everything. You're going to see those edges be able to get into the backfield uh, a little bit quicker and be more disruptive with the quarterback and get him off platform. Uh, I also think that once that starts to happen, 
it makes life easier for the linebackers to also maybe run through some of those lanes that have been created uh, and also create pressure or wreak havoc or make stops behind the line of scrimmage. So I think that's where it starts. I don't, I'm not saying that they've done a terrible job. I just think it's an area that can improve. And if it does, and if they do a good job this weekend, I think Washington state's in for a long night. Yeah. And twin ducks asks a good follow-up question to that. You know, he throws some uh, emojis in there, so maybe it's a silly question, but who's really calling the defense? Oh, who's really calling it? Yeah, um, yeah I, <laughs> definitely not a, a question to, that I can answer, but I mean, <laughs> I figure, I mean, I, but I, I figure, I mean, I, I mean, I'll say, I'll say this, I will say, I mean, like, let's be honest, like, let's just flip on the tape. You're seeing a different defense in week two and week three than you saw in week one. You know, so there's one of two things there. One of two things happened. Either A, okay, A, Oregon was not only were they incredibly vanilla on defense, okay, if you want to say, hey, they were just vanilla for the first week, so they weren't putting anything on anything on tape for the for the rest of the opponents because they knew they had a low shot of beating Georgia. If you want that to be the argument, that's fine. But in week one, it wasn't just that. They were missing on tackles, and they were not setting edges and 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 not you know uh, taking proper angles and just so many basic things that weren't getting done. I mean, it, it, if your argument wants to be that it was completely vanilla, I think there's other things that are getting overlooked. Week two and week three have been completely different defenses, right. and your head coach is a defensive wizard. And I'm not even kidding. He's one of the best defensive minds in the country. So I don't know. Maybe we just connect the dots on that one, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a smart answer. I, I want any journalism students that are listening. Maybe we've got like a, a freshman at the Oregon School of Broadcast Journalism, and they're listening to this podcast right now. Justin Hopkins just gave you a master class on how to stay friends with your sources. Answers like that. You know the answer. You say, hey, connect the dots because you don't want to burn anybody or tick them off too bad. Um Another question here, Air Monarchs. I love this username. That is like the such a Duck fan name, right? There's a shoe in the username. Air Monarchs asks, what do you think the solution is for cornerback two? I, I think this, um, and it's a, it's a good question. Um, I, I think that when the season started, Triquez Bridges was probably the guy they felt safest with. Uh, you know, he's got length, he's got experience, he's got speed. Uh, you know, maybe perhaps he was the least injured in fall camp. So he was consistent in the fact that he was able to get out there every day and get reps and get comfortable. You know, a lot of those things that we probably, or not that we probably, that we don't know. I think if you flip on the tape in the game film and you start watching the last two weeks, it's pretty clear to me that if Dante Manning hasn't surpassed him, he's probably at worst caught him in terms of, of his play and what he's putting on tape and what he's bringing to the table. So, you know, uh, I mean, uh, again, we're not in practice every day. Obviously, you're going to de defer to the guys that are making large six-figure contracts because it is their job at the end of the day. But if, if I'm giving my opinion based on game film, it certainly looks like Dante Manning is probably the best option at CB two right now, you know. But you know, but again, maybe there's there's nuances to this thing that we're not aware of. All right, um, we've gone about twenty minutes. 
I'm looking at the clock. It's it's a quarter past six. I, I think you've got soccer practice tonight, right? So I have some items on the agenda, but I want to make sure we're still good on time. Yep, let's just roll right into it. Okay, all right. So I've got my five games ready. You want to do five games? Let's do it. Hell yeah. Okay, five games we think you should watch. We do this when we have a college football pod during college football season. Godoy, of course. Uh, I have five games that I want to watch. They aren't the Ducks game. They are five different games. Justin has another set of five games. We try to see how many we have in common. We share all of them with you, and uh, we hope you use them and have fun on Saturday. I'll go first. This one's a Thursday game, and I don't normally throw these out. Normally, I I don't really watch college football on Thursdays. I'm working or I'm watching the NFL game on Thursday night, and I never list a Friday game because I'm a big religious high school football fan. But I love rivalries. I've really enjoyed watching one of these teams so far this year. The, um, The ESPN Thursday Nighter, West Virginia at Virginia Tech. That's a must watch for me. Uh, yeah, I you know I don't have that game, but I could see why. And I'm I well, I mean I'll say this: I, I would prefer to watch college football over the NFL. So uh, if I am able to get out and have a beer or two Thursday night, which I like to do before we have soccer practice, which starts at seven o'clock, um, I will definitely tune into that game. Not on my list, but a, a good game because I like a Thursday game. First one I have is Florida at, at Tennessee, twelve thirty on CBS. Um, unfortunately, that basically overlaps with the Oregon game, but of course, there's always commercials and flip flopping back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, it, only I think the biggest reason I list this game, and I'll, I'll preface this now, I'm heavy, heavy Pac-12 this week on my picks, but um, for a number of reasons. But I've got Florida and Tennessee. Simply, I just want to see if Florida's for real. Obviously, they beat Utah. They don't seem to be for real because of the Kentucky loss, but who knows? Um, and so anyways, I've got an eye on that game. Yeah, I have that one down too. I, 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 um, I'm a little bit down on Florida after that Kentucky loss, a team goes into the swamp and just out toughs them. I thought that was, was damning, but that's still a ranked team. And now they face Tennessee, great crowd, uh, really, really solid rebuild of that program last couple of years. I think that's going to be a close game. My second game is in that, or my third game is in that 9 a.m. window. It's not a perfect game, but I think it's the best game in that slot. Uh, Michigan and Maryland. And I put it down because I was doubtful of the Wolverines heading into this season. I, I, I did not think that they had uh, a full cupboard. I thought Jim Harbaugh was interviewing in the NFL for a reason. He, you know, kind of like Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, where he just wants to get out of a bad situation, maybe that nobody else sees coming. But so far, Michigan have looked up to the task. Like that, that's a top five team in my eyes. Yeah, I don't have that one. I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously always been pretty vocal about my thoughts on Harbaugh. So we'll we'll see how Michigan is, but. Um, at the moment, Maryland's not going to be a team that, that uh, measures up against them. So I didn't uh, – I'm basically heavy in the night. My next game's Arkansas at Texas A&M, you know, top 25 game. I'm actually – I'm not going to lie. I'm starting to enjoy watching Arkansas play. So maybe they've kind of become my adopted second, third team, whatever you want to call it. 
Uh, so ex- Arkansas, Texas A&M at 4 o'clock was the next game I had down, at least uh, for time-wise. And that makes sense. You know, I, I love I, – one thing I love to do, too, is staggering these games, you know, so you watch the whole day like how you watch. Um, you mentioned you're going Pac-12 heavy. I'm also going Pac-12 heavy. My, my fourth game, I think this could be the game of the weekend. They're not ranked, but Oregon State hosting USC in Corvallis. This is the first legit test for Caleb Williams – Lincoln Riley, Travis Dye, and New Look USC. And it's on Pac-12 Networks Saturday night. Yeah, 100% my next game. Um, yeah, I, I'm just excited to see it. Again, you know, still not fully bought in on USC. Um, Oregon State's playing really good football, fun to watch as well. I'm excited to see that game, see how it turns out. And, uh, yeah, that I mean, and the best part, like you said, that's a 630 game, so it's well after the Oregon game and, and going to be your nightly viewing uh, pleasure. And then, obviously, if we're that late, we probably both have the same games, but uh, I'll just give you both. I've got Stanford at UW and Utah at ASU, both 730 games. Yep. Uh, that That's four and five for me. Uh, you know, UW should beat Stanford. I still think it'll be a good game. Uh, Utah at ASU, uh, Herm Edwards is gone. Utah's, I, I don't know, is Utah as good as we think they are? Are they not? I don't know. I don't know that ASU is the measuring stick. Um, but again, probably the biggest reason I'm Pac-12 heavy is it's first first week of conference play. Um, you know, kind of see where everybody's at. And for the first time in a while, I feel like the Pac-12 has what I'm going to call good parity. Right. Not not parity because all the teams suck and there's two good teams, so everybody else battling out. Good parity in the fact that, you know, you can make a case for Oregon. You can make a case for UW. You can make a case for USC, a case for Oregon State, a case for UCLA. You can make a case for a number of teams being really good football teams and us having a really fun battle down the stretch. So I'm excited to see that start. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think you have any perfect teams, um, but I, I think you have a lot of B's and B pluses, which is more than we can say about the Pac-12 in years past. And and you're right. My fifth game is that Washington game. I think they'll beat Stanford just like you, but I, I, I'm really just eager to see how they look. Um, that's a top 25 team. Kalen DeBoer coming in. This is not Jimmy Lake's Huskies anymore. These guys can be really good. And I've already seen some people uh coaches national beat writers you know your your college football know-it-alls start to pick the huskies in the pac-12 north so i i want to see if there's any truth to that how are they going to stack up against a coach that you know me right does david shaw have the best roster no am i going to pick stanford to win the conference no but i continue to have respect for what he brings as a coach week in week out I want to see what Kalen DeBoer and the Huskies do against this David Shaw program. Yep, it'll be a good test for the Huskies. And again, just after this first week, I think we'll have a, I don't know, we'll have some insight to the, you know, how the Pac-12 is shaping up. And uh, I think it's going to be a fun season overall. I just think it's going to be a fun season in the conference. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm so glad, right? It's It's one thing to beat up on Eastern Washington. It's another thing to beat up on Washington and Washington State. I love Pac-12 play. Yeah, no, uh, uh, 100%. Totally excited for it to get going this weekend. All right, man. So so that's five games. 
I think you gave your five. I gave my five. Hopefully, we give some people some entertainment on Saturday. The next thing on the agenda is lock it in. And historically, this is my weakest segment. I always, without fail, jinx whatever I predict will happen. And conversely, it's usually Justin's best segment. I I remember when Javon Holland still wore green and yellow, you could take it to Vegas. If Justin said Javon Holland is going to get an interception, he'd get you two. (laughs) so uh i am really eager to hear what justin hopkins has to say let's start with you my friend lock it in oregon in pullman at washington state this weekend what's your lock well yeah lock of the week uh you know for me i think i'm gonna think i'm gonna go i i i feel like there's an easy one to make here and it might be yours i don't know but i i feel like if i said hey i think bucky irvin's gonna lead the team in rushing I think that's a shoot, sure thing to happen, but I, I'm going to veer from that. And I, and I do think that this is a game that we see uh, Troy Franklin really emerge, uh, you know, as that favorite receiving target, as that threat in the offense vertically for the Ducks. I think Terrence Ferguson's done a really good job there of being able to find some soft spots. But I, I think Washington State defensively is going to make, uh, make it – a priority to try and stop or slow down this rush attack from Oregon. I think that's going to be their game plan. And if that's the case, I, I, so far, I believe that Kenny Dillingham is going to address that in the game and probably start, you know, challenging them vertically. Yes. And I think Troy, I think Troy Franklin's going to benefit from that. So I believe I'm going to say that Troy Franklin re- leads his team in receiving yards and touchdowns this this uh, week okay well now i'm scared because i have an eerily similar prediction for you uh it, it, when when i've watched washington state this year one thing has stood out to me schematically they like to play man-to-man they they have some really physical corners they're going to get up there and i remember when we interviewed kenny dillingham this offseason what did he tell us he likes to take chances early in games He likes to give his players chances to strike deep. I think Washington State is going to stack the box, like you said. They are going to focus on Bucky and this Oregon running game, and that's going to open up opportunities for a quarterback we've already seen is not afraid to take shots, Bo Nix, and a coordinator we've already seen is not afraid to take shots, Kenny Dillingham. So my lock, Oregon will strike deep. I think there will be at least one play over 50 yards in the passing game on Saturday. Yeah. Nope. So we're on the same page. Um, Yeah. I I just think that there's going to be opportunities there. And, you know, as soon as maybe Washington state makes an adjustment, if they get burnt once or twice and backs up, then they're going to get gashed in the run game. So it's going to be almost one of those pick your poison type of affairs this weekend. Um, but I do think that that Oregon will be able to push the ball downfield. Yeah, and, and for what it's worth, that Dillingham conversation was was music to my ears. I love that Oregon has a coaching staff now that's not afraid to be aggressive. Yes, no, I, I, you know we've talked about this already, but but having Oregon's offense being fun to watch has been, uh, you know, great for Oregon fans and great for us to talk about, and it's been you know just definitely reinvigorating for this fan base for sure yeah 
and and for us covering them. Um, I'm Matt Bagley. He's Justin Hopkins. We're Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Before I go, is there anything else you want to hit on? Nope. That's it. Yeah, okay. just trying to keep, you know, keep our, you know, if we're going to do two a week, just so people know we're going to do two a week, we're going to try and keep them between 20 to 30 minutes each yeah, yeah, yeah. and be able to, to get you those because you and I, on you know, just frankly don't have the time to do two hour-long podcasts in a week. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, just trying to get you guys some quick hitters to get you through the week. And, and I don't have a timer on me, but I'm sure we're somewhere between 25 and 30 minutes now. So we're in a great spot. Yeah. Hey, hey, let me ask you a real quick hitter just to wrap up. Cause I love asking this question in the, uh, in the, in the second part of the week, like this one was, what are you drinking Saturday? Uh, well, the game, I, I, I probably won't drink much. And the reasoning for that is, uh, I'll keep it brief. The game is at one which I have no problem drinking at one in the afternoon. Okay. Um, however, my, my son and our soccer team, I'm assistant coach at, at G at, uh, on varsity at crater. Uh, we have a game that night at six 30. So okay. I need to be in a presentable form for the game. So maybe, <laughs> maybe have a couple, couple light beers and, uh, make sure I'm eating and, you know, enjoy the game, do some post game stuff and get out to the soccer field and hopefully get the second dub of the day presentable. I like that word in that context. Uh, I, I got a six pack of rogue hazelnut Brown that I'm trying to finish off. So I'll be a little less presentable on Saturday, but I don't have to present myself anywhere. That's fine by me. Uh, I'm Matt Bagley. He's Justin Hopkins. We are Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, and we'll be back next week with a reaction to the Washington State game for Oregon, a look ahead in the Pac-12 schedule for Oregon, and a whole lot more. So thank you for listening. Find the pod. Listen to the next one that comes out next week. And as always, go Ducks.